It's Saturday, August the 28th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, US strikes back at IS and Fed signals stimulus dial down. First, the week in brief. The American army carried out a drone strike against IS in Nangarhar, southern Afghanistan, with initial indications showing it had killed one of the group's planners, officials said. Meanwhile, the death toll among Afghans in Thursday's attack on Kabul airport rose to over 170, with more than 200 wounded. 13 American service personnel were killed and 18 injured. William Taylor of the Joint Staff said the attack consisted of one suicide bombing at the airport. Initially, it was believed to have involved two explosions, with a second at a nearby hotel. Islamic State Khorasan Province, an enemy of both America and the Taliban, claimed responsibility. A spokesman for America's Defense Department warned of ongoing credible threats to the airport. America's evacuation of Afghanistan continued. More than 300 of its citizens were airlifted out of the country in the 24 hours to Friday morning. Many European countries have now wound down their evacuations. Britain closed its asylum processing centre and is now focused on flying out a last 1,000 or so people within the airport perimeter. The Defence Minister, Ben Wallace, admitted that about 1,000 eligible Afghans would be left behind. The chair of the Federal Reserve gave a hefty hint that the central bank would reduce its bond buying in the coming months as America's labour market improves further. Jerome Powell said that, quote, clear progress had been made towards maximum employment and downplayed the risks of inflation at a virtual conclave of the central bankers, normally held in Jackson Hole. China's Supreme Court outlawed excessive overtime in tech firms, a cultural trend commonly known as 996, because workers toil from 9am to 9pm six days a week. Jack Ma, the founder of China's biggest e-commerce firm, Alibaba, once said, quote, to be able to work 996 is a huge blessing. But just as China's tech giants have been hit by a government crackdown, so have its work practices. Rivian, a California-based electric vehicle startup, filed confidently for a public listing, seeking a valuation between $70 billion and $80 billion. Among its planned offerings are a sport utility vehicle and a pickup truck. Like Tesla, it wants to bypass dealerships and sell directly to customers. Deliveries were meant to start in June but have been delayed due to the pandemic. Tim Cook, Apple's chief executive, received more than 5 million shares in the firm and sold most of them, pocketing over $750 million this week. The stock grant, part of a compensation package set in 2011, was contingent on the tech firm meeting various financial targets, which it did. Under Mr Cook's tenure, Apple's market capitalisation has risen more than sevenfold. The European Commission will launch an investigation on competition grounds into the sale of ARM to NVIDIA, according to the Financial Times. The British chip maker is being sold by its Japanese owner, SoftBank, to a much larger American rival. Britain's Competition and Markets Authority said in its recent initial assessment of the deal that the takeover posed, quote, serious competition concerns. And word of the week, kapjil, noun, a South Korean term referring to the authoritarian attitude of senior managers who abuse their power to shout at underlings, insist on unpaid all-nighters and weekend work, and force juniors to go out drinking for hours. South Korea's work culture is notoriously punishing. And now, here's today's agenda. New Wives' Tale, The Women of Troy. 
What happened to the women of the Iliad after the sack of Troy? Pat Barker sets out to answer this question in The Women of Troy, the sequel to The Silence of the Girls, her reimagination of the first Homeric epic. Like her earlier novel, The Women of Troy is narrated by Briseis, a beauty who served as little more than a plot device in the Iliad. After the Greeks have captured the city, Briseis witnesses and experiences the horrors of genocidal rape, which is described in brutal detail. The new book's premise is not entirely original. Euripides, an ancient Greek playwright, wrote a tragedy about the Trojan War's aftermath that focused on female victims. But while the play romanticises loss, Miss Barker's narrative is much more visceral. It highlights the injustices that fictional and real ancient women had to endure, as well as the strength it took to do so. Test Tube Moon, Making Titan in a Glass Apart from the Earth, only one place in the solar system has a substantial atmosphere. Thus, Titan, Saturn's largest moon, could harbour the secrets of life's origins, owing to its chemical parallels with the primordial Earth. Experiments presented to the American Chemical Society have sought to recreate the conditions of Titan on Earth in tiny glass cylinders. The Titanian recipe begins with water. Ice cryogenically frozen. To this, add ethane for Titan seas and nitrogen for its atmosphere. To complete the extraterrestrial petri dish, a host of organic molecules known to be present on Titan were added to see how they would behave in their native environment. This resulted in rainfall, which then crystallized into various co crystals, crystals formed of multiple compounds. These co crystals will now be analyzed to confirm Titan's chemical makeup. With luck, such recreations will not be necessary forever. NASA's Dragonfly rotorcraft is slated to land on Titan in 2034. Medieval Multiculturalism – Spain at the Frontiers of Faith Medieval Spain is known as the land of three religions. After Muslim forces invaded in 711 AD, Christians, Jews and Muslims spent centuries living side by side, in a period known as La Convivencia. A new exhibition opening on Monday, Spain 1000-1200, Art at the Frontiers of Faith, at the Met Cloisters in New York, gathers together works of art which show how the cultures shared ideas. An elephant ivory vessel from Cordoba bears the symmetrical Islamic patterns which influence Christian Romanesque design. A textile fragment made to honour a Christian saint has an Arabic inscription running along it. And a Hebrew Bible from Castile shows both Christian and Islamic decorative elements. As Julia Peritore, the exhibition's curator, puts it, these were people who were, quote, simultaneously separated and connected, but eventually their separateness won out. The fall of Granada in 1492 marked the end of Muslim rule in Spain, and the Catholic monarchy expelled all Jews later that year. Not-so-lone ranger, how to be a cowboy. For years, Dale Brisby has been using social media to share the ways of the cowboy with the internet. He now gets to do it on Netflix as the star of his own reality show, How to Be a Cowboy, launching on September the 1st. Sporting a cowboy hat and speaking with a country twang, Mr. Brisby is a real-life bull rider. He manages a program on Radiator Ranch in Texas to pass his wisdom and expertise on to the next generation of cattle drivers. The new series features some of his pupils as they learn how to hang on to the backs of bucking cattle. 
One such student is the ranch's first female intern, whom Mr. Brisby declares to be, quote, more cowboy and tougher than anyone there, including himself. Light-hearted and informative, How to Be a Cowboy is a must-watch for anyone intrigued by one of the enduring symbols of the American West and how it lives on today. Saturday Profile, Giorgia Meloni, the rising star of Italy's right. Two years ago, the Brothers of Italy, FDI, was a party on Italy's political fringe. But this August, it reached 21% in the polls, drawing for first place with the League, another hard-right party. Though the FDI plays down its status as the heir to the Italian fascist tradition, it has helped propel it to the top. At only 44, its leader, Giorgia Maloney, is poised to be a kingmaker, or perhaps become queen herself. She has been preparing for the top job. Born in a working-class district of Rome, at 15 she joined the youth wing of the Italian Social Movement, a party formed by veterans of former dictator Benito Mussolini's Italian Social Republic, which occupied parts of northern Italy from 1943 to 1945. In 2006 she was elected to Italy's lower house. Within two years she was a government minister. In 2012, Miss Maloney co-founded FDI, which she has led since 2014. Her views are standard fare for the European far-right. Talk of being, quote, always, everywhere and above all Italian is bolstered with theatrical demonstrations of populism, such as demanding last year that the state give €1,000, $1,170 to any Italian in need. She claims to, quote, defend children by protesting against gay adoption. Her solution to the rickety dinghies full of migrants that arrive is a naval blockade. Though often claiming to be a moderate, Miss Maloney is happy to dog-whistle to fascism. She proudly presented Mussolini's great-grandson as a European election candidate in 2019 in front of Rome Square Coliseum, an icon of fascist-era culture. Her refusal to compromise helps her case. FDI stayed in opposition when every other major party pledged loyalty to Italy's current government. That positions her well to undermine her rival, Matteo Salvini, the League's leader. She gleefully exploits the electorate's sense that he is a hypocrite for supporting Mario Draghi, Italy's technocrat prime minister. Come election time, the two parties will run together as part of a far-right alliance. If they win enough of a vote to form a government, Miss Maloney will doubtless be rewarded handsomely. But do not be surprised if she has grander ambitions. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Haile Selassie. A man who says, I have learned enough and will learn no further, should be considered as knowing nothing at all. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 